Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anche Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Yitro, Dissecting the Ten Commandments. Do you know the old uh, Mel Brooks routine when Moses gets the 15 commandments and he's coming down the mountain and he's got three sets of tablets in his hands and he's about to speak and he says, I present you with... And then the, one of the tablets falls out of his hands and crashes to the ground. The Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> right. There's a lot of routines about the Ten Commandments. Well, right? yeah, we got a lucky break there, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> lucky. That's right. Well, there you go. That's the joke, right? What? You couldn't drop both of them? <laughs> so Moses receives the Ten Commandments and... While we are more used to seeing them as numbers, you know, when they kind of are used as pieces of art, you know, as if to say you're supposed to know which are which, one, two, three, four, five, you know, often in Roman numerals, also assuming you can decipher Roman numerals. I think it'll be interesting just to talk about the divisions in the Ten Commandments, why they're laid out the way they are and what we can learn from them in our own our own society. So let me start with you. When you hear the Ten Commandments, what goes through your mind? Hebrew school comes to mind. I guess that's where you first learn them. And, uh, you know, it's funny that I bet you most Americans can't even name them all or maybe even get half, right? It's <laughs> it, it, There's only 10 of them. Not, we, we, we don't even have to memorize the other fit the other five that, that he dropped. So it shouldn't be that hard. But the first thing that, you know, when you say that comes to mind is how... Um, you know, everybody knows the Ten Commandments, but I would bet that the majority of Americans can't name them all, and I wouldn't want to even be tested myself, which is embarrassing. What's well, interesting, you would think that this seminal moment, the giving of the Ten Commandments, would be part of our liturgy. In other words, every day we would recite it. You say the Shema, the Vihavta, right. and then you would say the Ten Commandments somewhere. And what we know from rabbinic literature, from the Talmud, is that there was a point in time when Jews actually did that. And what's so interesting is the reason that we stopped had nothing to do with kind of a liturgical decision to abbreviate the prayer book, but rather it was a response to the rise of Christianity. And the rabbis are very specific about this. Early Christians were claiming that the law the Torah, as it were, or the 613 commandments, was no longer in effect after their savior had been born. In other words, he came to lift the onerous weight of the law from the shoulders of people. And the only commandments that were still in force were the Ten Commandments. And needless to say, the rabbis didn't like that idea. And by reciting the Ten Commandments as part of the liturgy, Christians would point out, you see, the Jews also accept this idea. So the rabbis then just expunged it. And it's a really good example of showing you how much influence Jews are by the outside world. Um, we're not quite as insular as we like to think. But the commandments themselves have a very specific structure that we don't pay a lot of attention to. It begins with, I am the Lord your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So the first commandment is a statement of acceptance is a statement of faith. What does it actually mean? Can you command somebody to believe? Right? Don't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> there is a commandment attached to it. It seems like, I guess it depends on how you write these. Uh, but it also says, you know, thou shalt not have 
other gods but me, right? So there is a, a commandment there or, or a demand of loyalty. Exactly. But the commandment is to believe in God. Right. Before you can say, I'm not going to have any other gods before me, you have to accept that. And that is actually the heading as well for the next few commandments. The Whether you're talking about making a sculptured image or using God's name in vain or swearing falsely, you know, by God's name. All of those are what we would call benadam lemakom. They're laws between people and God. And if you then look at the last five commandments, really those are laws between human beings and other human beings. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, right? Don't mm-hmm. steal, don't bear false witnesses. All those are laws between human beings. And so in a very interesting way, the structure has a lot to teach us. It teaches us the Jewish religion is based upon a relationship with God and living with an awareness of God and what you can do with God and what you can't do. That God is so other that you can't use God's name in vain. That God is so holy, you can't try to capture what God is. So that you live with this sense of God in the world, and that your own history is bound up with God. God took you out of the land of Egypt. So you begin with a sense that religion for Jews is how we relate to God. Right, and there's a great logic there. Um, I guess it's kind of obvious, but may, you're making me think about it, that you establish the the order, right? God, you you shall you know take no other. And from that, I'm willing to follow these rules because of the first commandment, right? Because I believe they come from a valid authority, an authority that that is worth building these other commandments around. And I guess I would add to that, that God has credibility with you. After all, the fact that you're still here, if you expanded the first of the 10 commandments, you could easily come to the place where you say, well, you know, if you look at Jewish history, it's a miracle that we're still here. So, it's not just that I brought you out of the land of Egypt, but I've kept you alive throughout history. Now, the faith is that the Jews have also been been true to their part of the covenant with God and have continued to embrace God. But that's also a proof text. The fact that we're still here in the year 2022, still having conversations about Torah is kind of a miracle in and of itself and speaks to that relationship with God. Here in 2022, if you still believe number one, then you might as well read on and go through the the next nine commandments. If you're not reading the first one and you're not believing the first one, uh, there's no point in going any further. I think that's an important point. But yet, at the same time, there are lots of people out there who would say, look, I'm spiritual. I don't really know if I believe in God. I don't really know what I think of God. But I try to do right by other people. That's my spiritual being. That's my religion. Now, that's fine. And people can make their own choices to do whatever they want to do. And you might be Jewish and also believe that. But let's not call that Judaism. At least that's what the Ten Commandments are kind of saying to us. Don't call that Judaism because it's what you think Judaism is about or what you think religion is about. But the Ten Commandments are saying you start with the laws between you and God and us as a people with God as difficult as that might be. And then we move to the other part, which is because of that relationship with God, you have a higher authority calling on you to not steal. 
I don't steal just because I think it's the wrong thing to do. I don't steal because this is a commandment from God. And part of my relationship with God is heeding that commandment. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, you and I have compared this before to the, the vows of marriage. And I think there's a lot of good comparison to be made because when you vow to be loyal and faithful and to love and honor and obey and to put your spouse above all others, the vow itself is a great start, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't live those vows day by day and not just stick to them, but really believe in them. So you have to have the belief and you have to have the action. I think that's exactly right. So that covenantal idea that is so much a part of marriage is also, from the Jewish perspective, part of the covenantal relationship with God. And the Ten Commandments really speak to that. So it's interesting that I've only named nine of the commandments. There's a transitional commandment between the laws between people and God, the laws between people and other people, and that is the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Mm -hmm. Why is that the transitional commandment? Because God rests on the Sabbath. We rest on the Sabbath. Because how do you become a nation of priests as God commands us to be? When you want to embrace time and say, this is holy time, I'm going to separate myself from the creation. I'm going to spend time with family. I'm going to spend time reflecting. I'm going to spend time engaged with something higher. That is the transition where we acknowledge that part of us, human beings, are created in the image of God, meaning that we can sense the holy and we can engage in the holy by choice, just as God does, just as God chooses to rest on the Sabbath day. We too can. And so there's a very powerful statement being made about the potential of humanity. It's not just about don't do this and don't do that. You don't do it because you have the potential to understand this relationship, and this is how you actualize the human condition. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like what you said about how, you know, being able to sense the holy, and I'm not sure I do. I think it's hard. I think it's 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 difficult to get a grasp of what that means. And the idea that God rests on the Sabbath is so interesting. And it's it's a one way, I guess, to think about the notion that we are all made in the image of God, that we all have this, this duty and this responsibility to live up to that. And um, that when we're resting, God is also resting. That's a powerful idea that helps, I guess, to um, establish that relationship in a really visceral way. As you were talking, I was thinking about the image of a choir. I think we've all been in school choirs at some point in time. And some people have amazing voices, and they were sort of put up front by the microphones. Mm -hmm. And some people who often sang off key, I'm not mentioning any names here, <laughs> but, you know, they were sort of in the back and, you know, stay away from the microphone, please. But what we end up doing in a choir is we raise each other up. We can all sing together and some people can raise us up. And I kind of think that that's a wonderful example, an image of a religious community. There are people for whom that sense of God comes easily. You were saying that you're, that challenges you. And for right. other people, it doesn't. But there are other things that come easily, right? Being there for other people. And so when we come together on Shabbat as a community, right? We are all of those things, but we are raising each other up. And so it's not just about my relationship with God. It's my relationship with God as part of this covenantal people. And so Shabbat is really a communal understanding of our relationship with God, which is one of the reasons that COVID is so hard for Jews is because it's hard to come together. You part of 
prayer is just having a minion, but also part of the Shabbat experience isn't just what goes on in the sanctuary. It's also what goes on in the Kiddush. You get to see people, you get to schmooze with people, you get to be part of a community. All of that is Shabbat, right? It's not just the Torah reading for the day, it's all Shabbat. And so one of the things that we're challenged by as Jews is what do we do with Shabbat during COVID? And that's challenging as a community, I'm saying. And so that right. middle commandment, that bridge commandment really speaks to that. Yeah. And you know, so many of the commandments feel like they're individual, right? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. But there's one that really brings us together in a powerful way. Obviously, the, the commandments themselves bring us together because we're all agreeing to adhere to these commandments and we're all agreeing to worship the same God. But that one specifically has a, a really powerful communal effect. I guess I would say one thing in closing is that you could look at the second tablets, right? The ones that Moses didn't drop, right? And you could say to them, you could say about them that they're all sort of, you know, they're negative and they kind mm -hmm. of speak to me trying to get a hold of my animal urges, right? My passions and humanize myself. You could say that, which is a negative way of understanding. It's not illegitimate to say that. Or you can say that bridge commandment is doing is reminding you that when you choose not to steal, when you choose not to covet because what you have is enough for you, you're also aligning yourself with the best of yourself, that holy part of yourself. And I think that's a very positive way to, to understand it, right? It's not just about keeping your animal urges at bay. It's about really actualizing yourself as a person created in the image of God who has the potential for the holy. And joining a community, too. And joining community. All right, thanks, Jonathan. That was fun.